The best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their Best Ball Mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money, and the best part is you just draft your fantasy team, and that's it. There's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week in the season, and the highest scores at the end of the year win. The champion of Best Ball Mania last year drafted in June, so there's no time like the present to join Underdog and take a shot at a million-dollar draft. Plus, Underdog, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with promo code PFF. Also, if you pay $10 using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, pay $10 with code PFF, and draft your best ball mania team today. All right, everybody, welcome to the, I think we're going to publish this on Wednesday, although for full disclosure, taping on a Monday night, so if something serious goes down in the dregs of the NFL season, we will not be talking about it between Monday and Wednesday. You do not have to listen to me drone on for an hour today. I have a guest, an esteemed guest here, uh, Sean Clement, who has worked for, and I want to make sure I have everything right, because I'm going to go through the background and everything. So you have worked for the Ravens. Yep. And the Dolphins. Is there anyone else that I'm missing within the NFL sphere? No, that's it for the NFL. That's it for the NFL. Well, I mean, once you work for the Ravens, you know, our Ravens, as as nerds like to call them, uh, you really have just that's like a Jedi training, I, I feel like, within the the dark arts of analytics. It yeah, I I think that's fair. And, you know, I I loved working for the Ravens. Super smart organization. And then like the, you know, Beyond uh, David and Corey, who you know were there before the the rest of us got there, um, getting to work with Sarah and, and Derek was really cool too. And just just a a lot of smart people in in the uh, in the process there. Yeah, yeah. For those um, who are not as familiar with the names that are just being spewed out over here, and a little ins- insider baseball here, but yeah. So so a couple of guys who had run the organization for a while, and then a couple of new hires. Derek coming over from Stats Bomb, which does the football European football analysis gotten into American football analysis, I guess a competitor, a competitor. So I don't know. We may have to uh, uh, yeah, decide pub- whether or not we can talk about them. Right. Yeah. Well, he's, you know, also published with a, uh, with Mike Lopez, director of analytics for, for all of the NFL before he joined the Ravens. So yeah, quite the, uh, quite the multi-sport uh, mathlete, you could say. That, that, that is true. That is true. So we're going to go through, you know, what the insights that you have to tell us all on the outside, kind of what's going on in some of these front offices without, you know, disclosing too much. You may, I don't want to be the sole reason that you are uh, barred from working in the NFL again. I'm sure there's a, there, there may be other reasons, but let's not have it be me at least. And then, so we'll talk about some of that stuff. We'll talk about what you are seeing on the outside. You're, you're, you're someone who on, on the Twitter bot is not afraid to let an opinion, let a take go here and there. So I want some some takes on what you're seeing on the outside. I want to call out some names here. Well, actually, I don't know about that. But we'll, we'll have some takes on what's going on on the outside there. So that, that'll be number two. And then number three, uh, let's get into some of the storylines we may have seen for this season or, or what's going into this year. Because in my opinion, maybe we'll just jump into this a little bit initially, the NFL, this hiring cycle in particular in front offices, when you saw Ryan Poles come in, when you saw uh, Kwesi Adofamensa come in, when you see uh, Joe Shane come in, not only are we getting some lip service to the benefits of the quote unquote, the analytics, research, development, that sort of stuff, but I think these guys are a little bit more believers and we've, it's really truly a 180 from the, you know, Dave Gettleman sort of area that we saw before. Are, am I being too hopeful from the outside or do you feel like even on the inside, there is that perception that, you know, even within teams like the Ravens, like you're mentioning, they are bringing it on and rapidly growing those departments over the last few years. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's, there's a league wide increase in buy-in um, and, and then you have also some teams are are trying to figure out like well how much you know how much do we really put towards this thing because there's there's some weird trade-offs when it comes to to the nfl um and and i've mentioned this in private conversations with friends too because you know 
first thing I want to know is like, well, how, you know, how much can analytics really help you win? And, right. um, and part of it is like, well, if you don't have a starting quarterback, there's only so much you can do. Like I can help you make good decisions, but if you're, uh, if you're rolling with a replacement level quarterback, um, then we've got, we've got bigger problems. Um, but league wide, I do think that, uh, I do think that a lot of teams have looked at, you know, well, how come, you know, how come the Ravens have this uh, success in the draft every single year, year after year? And, you know, how did the Browns turn themselves around? Uh, and how did, you know, how have all the, all of these teams, the Rams, for example, you know, uh, Sarah Bailey has been with the Rams for a number of years and has done great work for them and has a Super Bowl ring now to show for it. So I think there's a sense around the league is like, well, I want what that guy's got. And, you know, even if that GM doesn't use everything that the nerds are putting forward, like there's clearly something there. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's true. I think the media has been a positive force in that direction too, being that at least the conversation that we're seeing, maybe it's like through nerds on Twitter that are influencing some of the conversation, things like the fourth down bot, others who can then be ideas that are being pressed to organizations. Not that it's helped in all circumstances, but I can remember that pre Hmm. I'm not sure if it's 2020 or 2021. I think it was pre 2020. The Russ whole Russ cooking thing. Actually, Pete Carroll was asked about it during a press conference about whether or not they're going to pass it more. And he says, yeah, I've been thinking about it. He said, yeah, we've been thinking about it because you, you know, you guys won't stop asking me about it. I don't stop hearing about it. So I do like that there's become a little bit of a, you know, there's a cost to these guys not at least feigning buy-in on some of these things. They're not just going to all, you know, laugh and high five each other about dunking on the nerds during these press conferences. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point. Um, You know, people will talk about people in the league will talk about like, Oh, we don't care what the media says. Well, we know that that's not true. That, that, you know, the, the media, media perceptions and how the media talks affects how some organizations run, not every organization, but, but how some organizations run because the owner is listening to how his team's talked about. Right. And so uh, if these public perceptions, if you're just getting, you know, punched like a punching bag every single day in sports media, that can have a real effect. Um, And so I do think that while, Oh, I don't know. I, you know, I'd say three to four years ago, you saw a lot of teams that would bring up analytics as a way to kind of stiff arm criticism and say like, Oh no, you know, we have a, you know, we have nerds working on stuff like go, uh, go focus on somebody else. Um, now we're actually seeing, you know, a true embracing of, of just more information to make better decisions. And that's really what it boils down to. Now, now I'm sure there's, there are more than one person tuning in here who is wondering, I want to be part of it. I want to feel that warm embrace from the NFL. I'm a nerd. I want to get into to the mix here. So let's talk a little bit about your background and how you worked your way into working for not one, but working with two different NFL franchises. Um, you know, we, we don't have to go into, you know, birthplace, uh, uh, weight when you were born, you know, uh, chess tournaments that you won, I'm sure, when you were uh, terrible old enough player. before you could even speak, <laughs> all, all those sorts of things, uh, the, you know, the Rain Man-like capacity to go through uh, data and information and recall. But let, let's talk something about your, your larger path to how you got to the NFL. And, you know, some people will be interested in your opinion on how others should be doing that now that, again, if, if we can just expand each front office by a couple of positions, which materially does not really affect the bottom line, of course, of any of these organizations, and I think will happen. It, it, it is a big overall number as far as the the relative amount that's being added throughout the NFL versus being able to crack in and scouting and coaching and other places. You have many, many more people who can at least on a on a paper basis qualify for those types of roles, and maybe it's a little bit more of a subset for those who have the football knowledge is important, but then also have the technical skills to get in through the ways that you got into the NFL. Yeah. So there's, there's a wide breadth of skills needed uh, right now in the NFL. And, and you touched on it a little bit. Um, There's definitely a path uh, for folks that are not, let's say fully in the scout lane, but also not fully in the nerd lane. Like if you are a pretty good scout, that is also a pretty good programmer then I think there's a niche for you in the NFL right now that didn't exist, you know, five or 10 years ago. Um, Do those and, people exist? 
No, they exist. They exist. They exist. You, okay, you, interesting. Interesting. Because, you know, I've talked to – there's a couple people. I mean, talk about the Ravens, number one. Um, you know, Daniel Stern there, who's a coach, who's a coach who, who works there. And then I had another gentleman who had done some podcasts with me here who worked for the Eagles Network for the Jaguars, Ryan Paganetti. These yeah. guys were kind of like on the coaching side of things is really what they were more interested in. But they went to like nerd colleges. They went to Ivy League schools. And right. for that reason – Daniel more than Ryan, because Ryan kind of looks like a little bit of a meathead, but Daniel more than Ryan kind of like they, they get put into that bucket um, of being like a nerd. So they say, you know what, I'm going to embrace and kind of come through that way. Is, is that what you're talking about? Someone who may be like a, a football guy, but then can learn to really embrace that side of things and then bring that dual sk skill set? Yeah, I mean, kind of. It's it's kind of like you need someone who can act as a bridge between the two worlds sometimes. So there's there's a bit of that going on. Um, but then, you know, if you have someone who just comes from one of the two backgrounds and then works their way towards the other, you see that a lot, too. So, you know, somebody who may have been a scouting intern, uh, but then starts looking up uh, things like NFL Faster or um, the Big Data Bowl, things like that. And then they use that as a way to improve their coding skill set. And, and now they can really look at like, okay, well, the, the things that I look for on, on tape, do they, do they actually matter? Can we measure them? You know, all of these sorts of questions that you really first start sinking your teeth into uh, when you get into football analytics. And to, you know, to answer your question on how, how the heck did I get into this world? Um, honestly, so I started grad school in 2016, um, and I was the dumb army guy in my grad school class because i was about a decade older than everybody else uh so i showed showed up at stanford the most complex complex math i had done for the previous decade was long division while i was sitting in the cockpit of a helicopter just figuring out how much fuel i had left and the next thing i know i'm sitting in phd linear algebra classes and i felt like i was getting just hit in the face with a baseball bat i couldn't keep my head above water um Long story short, football analytics was my way of taking all of the theory I was learning about in class and applying it towards a real world problem. Because I knew that uh, when I left school, I didn't, I, I didn't really care about, um, I didn't really care about theory. To be quite honest with you, I, I cared about using what I was learning to solve real world problems. And so, now, you're speaking my language here. Now, if you were talking to Doctor Eric Eager, maybe not, but you're definitely speaking my language about like I, I trust you guys. Like I, tr I trust you, mathematicians right. and others, that this stuff works. Like I, I'm, I'm willing to put my faith in you that someone much smarter than me hasn't said, "No, wait a second, this doesn't work. This doesn't actually work the way you're doing it." Yeah, well, you know, now maybe Wednesday morning I'll get an angry text from Eric, like, oh, I can't believe you said that on the podcast. <laughs> right, um, right. But, yeah, I just I wanted to solve some real-world problems, and, and football was my way to do it. And then, um, you know, I got towards the end of grad school, and I was like, well, you know, I kind of want to write about football. So I, I did that a little bit under uh, SP Nation. Uh, and then the first big data bowl rolled out in 2018, um, and I – you know, I took a shot at that. I wasn't very good at it, <laughs> just to be totally well, yeah, you honest. Gotta be like, well, at least, well, it depends on how it's how it's arranged. Now, you have some guys who are seriously know how to go from subject to subject. I mean, the guys famously who won the Big Data Bowl a couple of years ago didn't even know what football was before they before they started into it. Right. Yeah. They just they just slammed the problem into a computer uh, computer vision setup and, and did phenomenally. Um, yeah. So I, so I participated in the Big Data Bowl and I got some feedback on that, but I also got you know used to working with the tracking data at that point. And then it was, then it was, you know, can, and can I improve my coding skills enough to, to be useful to a team? Uh, was really lucky enough to, to interview with the, with the Ravens, you know, back in the summer of 2018. So I joined them for the 2019 and, and, and 2020 seasons. Um, and yeah, you know, in some ways, in some ways it's much, much easier to get picked up by a team now only because the data is more out there and available. So you can, you can get some reps in, um, you know, I don't think that you can jump straight from trying to learn how to code into an NFL team, but you can at least go and say, you can at least familiarize yourself with, you know, win probability and expected points added. And uh, you can go on to Kaggle and, and pick up all of the uh, big datable notebooks and see if you can get them to run, see if you can get them to improve. And, and so from that perspective, it's like, wow, there's just so many resources that didn't exist even five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And as you mentioned, there's publicly available tracking data via these competitions that they've had for the big data bowl. I mean, it's not comprehensive, but then again, if you're not practiced and you don't have a 
full data storage setup and everything else, you probably don't, you probably can't even deal with anything uh, uh, too too comprehensive on on that side of things. So, right, maybe I'll just maybe I'll just ask you. Let's start with the big general, you know, sixty thousand dollar question for you is maybe how do you define analytics, or are you like I thought it was interesting a, a, an answer from uh, Quezzi Adolfo Mensa where he said he didn't like the word analytics because he thought that there's some baggage around it and it more often points to who is doing the, the analysis, which then comes with assumptions, judgment, preconceived notions, as opposed to what is being done, where he thinks anyone can can think in this kind of thoughtful manner which goes into analyzing, breaking down problems and coming up with thoughtful solutions, which doesn't have to be defined as quote unquote analytics. What, what do you think about all of that? Yeah. So, you know, there, there is a, there's some negative connotations with the word analytics in, in the football sphere. Um, but I think a lot of that is starting to be smoothed over within league circles because, you know, as you start getting nerds into these teams or as people kind of move around the league and, and see how different teams operate, um, it becomes clear that you know it, you don't just have uh, people coming from computer science backgrounds and math backgrounds or whatever going into these teams and and then uh, cudgeling them and saying like oh you're you're doing everything wrong like you should be doing this because the numbers say so um, you know I think that the people who especially the people who you know work in the league multiple years they're they're very conscientious of what they don't know about football and and to be successful as an analyst um, and to solve these very complex problems, you know, you have to have a, a good amount of people skills because you're going to be sitting down with either coaches or scouts or a combination of the two and really to, talking through these pro, uh, problems, you know, what is it you're trying to solve? And then you go back to the scouts or, or coach and it's like, well, how do we know that measuring this is more important than measuring this other thing? And then you can kind of talk through these questions like, okay, well, you said that that you judge a you know you judge a player based off of this one trait, but when we measure this trait, we don't see it have any predictive power, or we don't see it um, you know really helping us figure out who's going to be better in the future. Um, and so let's break that down. Like maybe it's not this particular trait in all circumstances. Maybe there's a certain subset of circumstances. Maybe what so in some cases you know what is being looked at is simply aesthetically pleasing it isn't necessarily an effectiveness thing and but if you but if you treat all of these as kind of like research questions and they're collaborative rather than adversarial that's that's such a big jump and honestly the biggest difference between the public sphere and and what happens inside of teams um the public yeah, sphere yeah, can be yeah. I mean, that very was adversarial be yeah, that, well, that was going to be something that I was going to get into. So maybe we can we can jump into that a little bit here. I guess there'll be two two points from what you mentioned, which I think are interesting. Number one is like the one of the problems is especially within football is there's this kind of push and pull between we want to properly contextualize things, right? And as you mentioned, well, maybe it's not overall, but maybe in this circumstance and then maybe in this circumstance. But then as we're talking about football here, now we're getting to like not, you know, barely enough data to to draw any sort of firm conclusions to right. half as much data as that to a quarter as much data. And then it goes down further and further. And then eventually along the line, maybe from a headline sort of basis, although with a ton of uncertainty and a ton of noise and whatever else is, you could get to something where you're like, ah, oh, Eureka, I found what I was looking for here. But then if you really, it's predictive power out of sample may be null at that point. So how do you think about yeah. that that problem, I guess, initially? Yeah, so, I mean, it depends on, you know, would depend on exactly what we're talking about. But I think this is where something like, um, like using something like empirical Bayes is incredibly powerful uh, because you can you can come in with a notion of, of what the actual answer is. Um, and then you can let the data nudge that distribution the right direction, left or right, um, to to reinforce your point. And it usually doesn't take that many samples to actually uh, start having that effect. Um, and so things like that become become really powerful because then it's then it's like okay, well we we have some notion of what we think is going on, but we also want the we also want the data to have uh, have more of a say in this process. Um, and and that can be uh, that can be really important to do, but to your point, can be really dangerous to do if the sample sizes are really small. You know, if you're if you're talking with a, a scout or a coach, and you're like, 
well, okay, you want me to look at, you know, third and five and six, you know, out of 12 personnel between these score bounds. Like, it's like, I've got seven samples all year, man. Like, I can't tell you anything out of that. Uh, if I did, it would be malpractice. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, you could you could send it out, but just don't don't uh, don't include the sample size, you know, um, on something well, there's like that. that. Yeah, yeah, there is that. Um, okay, let, 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 okay, I really want to dig into all of these little little details, but I keep on getting sidetracked by myself, mostly asking additional questions for the specifics here. And because I, I want to get into the kind of Bayesian way, like having a prior, which can be built off of either logical inference or knowledge of what you want, and quite. So I, I want to get into that stuff, but I want again, I want to kind of get back to some of the particulars here as far as these departments. I mean, we hear things on the outside about. They have, you know, five players, five, five players, five uh, people in their R&D department here, and then someone else, they'll have one. Uh, the function, the functions of what teams may be looking at probably differs quite a bit across the board, whether or not it's just collecting, you know, a faster way of collecting data that they would be doing on the coaching side for them versus some people who may be really digging into the tracking data and things like that. So I want to get an idea, and you don't have to mention any particular team you work for but as far as the structure of how things work is an is a research and development department is it more of a like how big of a site how much siloed is it in what it does there which then kind of works its way up into the top of the silo and then spreads out from there or is there a lot of collaboration with different areas even within different levels of the department I think there's uh, I think there's a lot of collaboration. Um, you'll see, a, you know, when we start talking about R&D departments, and if you look at them on paper, and especially, you know, teams don't want uh, to necessarily lay out exactly how their front office organizational chart is structured for, for good reason. But I think what you tend to see is you just have a a group of uh, really smart people kind of scattered throughout the organization, but what they're working on is is really is really just a function of what needs to be done at any given time so you know if if you need to be helping out with an immediate coaching question or if you're doing draft preparation or if you're doing free agent preparation you know a lot of it is is kind of cyclic in nature um you know you might be working on coaching stuff uh in the summer and then early in the season and then next thing you're moving towards uh, free agency preparation and then draft preparation, or you could have, you know, you could have somebody who's just does nothing but draft preparation all year. So it, it varies a little bit team to team, uh, but it also depends a lot on what the focus of that particular team is based on where they are, you know, in their roster construction cycle. Because you know, you could you could have very little cap room for free agents, and so now you don't need to put any of your nerds on free agents really, um, except for maybe a, a little bit of exploratory analysis. And the rest of it is like, okay, well, you know, I need these two people to help out the coaching side and these other two, three people to help out on the draft side. And, and we'll leave free agency for, for a different year, unless you just have cycles to burn. It's like, well, let's build some models that may be useful in a different year that uh, we won't really need this year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and for the player evaluation side though, I mean, let's just think about um, you mentioned for free agency, you wouldn't necessarily need to dig into it too much because of what the particular budget may be for that for that cycle. But I guess theoretically you could trade for any player in the NFL. Now, whether it be accepted right. or not, you know, all that sort of <laughs> stuff. So when it comes to something like that, like how, how much is it, would you say generally, of course, isn't to be specific to the places you've been, but your idea yeah. would be, is it like, Hey, we're thinking about doing X, you know, trading for a wide receiver. We have these five names, dig into these five names versus, is there room to look through and maybe do, you know, on an annual basis, something, try to get valuations on particular players and say, Hey, we think this guy may be someone you should think about trading for, which seems a little bit like it probably wouldn't happen as much as, as the other way around. But how, how about that? As far as the directional work, is it coming down in a way of like, we're going to do X help us refine that decision like a specific decision versus maybe you should think about this specific decision and then, you know, either move forward with it or toss it aside if you believe that it's not a good, a good thing to be doing. Yeah. So I would actually say the, spe the specific decision questions are more rare. Um, and, and usually what you'll get pointed at instead is like, you know, Hey, we, we have a need at this position. And so go dig into that position and not like, Hey, we are thinking of trading for, you know, player A. Right. Um, 
So, um, and I, in in some respects, because if I they want to trade like, for player A, let's face it, you're not you're not talking them out of it. Right. I mean, first of all, yeah, you're not talking them out of it. You know, B, a lot of teams, you know, a lot of teams are, are trying to minimize, you know, leaks to the media and stuff like that. Yeah, then, of course. Yeah, yeah. And and then uh, C, it's it's honestly a healthier way to do research in general, right? Like if, if your boss says like, hey, help me justify this decision versus yeah. like, hey, what do you think, you know, from this pool of players? Like, tell me who tell me who you, you would go after. Yeah, that's a that's a better situation to work with anyway, because now now if you come up with the evidence that like, you know, please, for love of God, don't trade for this guy, but he's going to trade for him no matter what. And it's like, well, now now all I'm going to do is piss my boss off. <laughs> that doesn't help anybody. <laughs> yeah, that actually kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, this story with the the Wentz trade initially trading up for the draft pick for the Eagles, how it was documented in I think it was in the athletic by some beat reporters there. I mean, I, I love I love Howie Roseman. I, but then again, we don't have to agree with everything everyone does. But the funny right. story there was part of the justification for taking a chance on Wentz is he said as part of this article that because he was an FCS quarterback and there wasn't a lot of data to know whether or not he would be good, that their analytics group could not like rule him out. And that was somehow a positive. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if that's how it works. <laughs> I'm not quite oh, sure that how it works, but that, that's, you can get in one of those decisions where it's like the, the, the lack of, of evidence can become a reason to do it or can become a reason not to do it, depending upon what side you're on to start off with. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, but uh, that, that would be a tough spot to be in if uh you know, if the boss says, hey, I'm taking this guy unless you have evidence to the contrary. And it's like, well, of course I don't have evidence to the contrary. <laughs> you didn't you didn't play in, a, you know, in the part of the league we study that. Yeah, that would be a, that'd be a tough out. Um, I'm glad I uh, glad, you know, I wasn't having to fight on that hill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least the Wentz the Wentz Ponzi scheme is still 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 ongoing. So you'd rather be first on that, I guess, on on the way out on the way out there. Um, OK, let me like, let's get into a little bit more of the the silly stuff on the outside that that we're seeing because obviously like quarterbacks are the rage everyone's talking about quarterbacks all the time quarterbacks are the only position that matters we know we know that according to to everyone <laughs> on nurture we want to constantly rank them order them sort them you know uh, look at them from every angle uh on a weekly basis who's up who's down all this sort of stuff so if you're in a if you're in a team and you're sitting there with a good not great quarterback like teams are not really pushing in a lot of chips to upgrade that position like the 49ers did for Jimmy Garoppolo that's more of the outlier sort of circumstances most teams are thinking we're working under the parameters of this quarterback is not going to change year on year so then how often is anyone even thinking about the quarterback inside of the front office when it's not really something to waste time to think about while it takes up you know 95 percent of our brain space here within the media world yeah so i mean if you're in the front office right and you know if we if you and i kevin we're running a team and we have okay. an average but not great quarterback. Like that is cut such him immediately. A... Cut him immediately. That's what that's what I hear. That's what the nerds say. Right. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, cut him immediately, and and the owner will fire you, right? So then, like, <laughs> yeah. so there's there's a one of the things that I don't think gets talked about enough is the weird incentive structure that GMs are put under, and and how you have this incentive uh, to to be competitive but not necessarily maximize your team strength. Um, and, and, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that gets wrapped into that, right? Like, you know, if you were looking at maximizing your team strength over the long term, you would do things like cut your average quarterback, get a better draft pick, all of this kind of stuff. But that doesn't necessarily work within how the NFL's incentive structure is set up with, um, and, you know, I mean, first of all, like if, if, if you're a GM and, and you dedicate to tanking, right, like you might get into a fist fight with your uh, with your head coach in the, in the hallways, not, not literally, but, um, but the point is that like a lot of these guys are, are, are very, very competitive people. They don't like to lose, not even if it's for the quote unquote best of the organization in the long term. So that's, that's a really hard part to get over. And we don't really talk about that in the public. And then quarterbacks are just an extremely scarce resource is, is the other piece of it and even if you wanted to upgrade 
most years you just can't. Um, you know, it, yeah, we we saw a couple of quarterbacks get traded this offseason, uh, you know, with Russell Wilson being an example. But like, you know, last year you couldn't trade for for someone like Wilson, and next year you probably won't be able to either. The the trading for a higher end. Well, people are going to bring up Stafford last year, right? Which again, right? But well, I, what I will say is it's. It's been a little bit unusual, so the quarterback yeah. movement. We we normally don't. So that that's definitely – and the second thing is I think in hindsight, it's very easy to say, well, you just – you look at every single quarterback that you would rank below Matthew Stafford and you say, well, that team should have just traded for Matthew Stafford. Like, duh. Right. You know, we then he would have upgraded quarterback. But – like every team, you didn't know Matthew Stafford was going to be Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford probably is not going to go to 90% of the teams that you're talking about. It doesn't necessarily align. Or, you know, you just draft Justin Herbert. Boom. Done. You know, duh. Why didn't you think of that? So, like, right. these things Simply aligning themselves a are a lot easier to talk about, I think, after the fact. No, that's that's absolutely true. I mean, so if if we are, you know, if we're an average but not great team, and we're looking to upgrade at quarterback, and Matthew Stafford has already gone trade to the Rams. It's like, what's your next best option? Yeah. Because um, first of all, you have to find a team willing to trade their quarterback, and and so then um, it's like, okay, well, will the Raiders trade Derek Carr? No. Um, will the Vikings trade Kirk Cousins? Maybe. Um, do you want to trade for Kirk Cousins? Yeah, they, yeah, but people think they should Maybe. be having that discussion. Yeah. Of who they're <laughs> going to trade for with, right? With the, exactly. With the Vikings. How they're going to tank? So yeah. Yeah, so it, it's a it's a really hard problem, and 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 we don't necessarily talk enough about you know those those constraints, and that's that's honestly so that makes things like what the 49ers did this last year just all that much more impressive to me, that you can have a quarterback who I don't think anybody would put Garoppolo in the elite tier, um, and and they just consistently are very good, you know, have made it to made it to the Super Bowl, made it to multiple NFC uh, championship games. Um, and so those type of edge cases are really interesting to me because it, it's like, you've almost figured out how to circumvent this, this quarterback problem, or at least, you know, if you got a guy who's good enough in the right offensive scheme and you can build around him, then maybe you can squeeze out an edge case, but gosh, even then that's, that's so hard to do. Cause now you've got to hit on, you know, maybe eight different positions instead of just one, but there's more talent available at those eight different positions. Okay. Well, how about just, just building around the quarterback? Cause I guess sometimes when I think about these things too, I think that, you know, every, there's luck involved, obviously, and, and all these different yeah. things, there's, there's uncertainty in a lot of different decisions. But another reason why I am not as much of a toss the bum out of here when you have a Kirk cousins or whoever as your quarterback, because like every decision that you're making, you have a chance to incrementally improve your chances of being better, essentially. So there's right. so many decisions outside of the quarterback that you could be making. And if you are making those right decisions, they're not all going to get the right result. But if you're making the right decisions along the way, I do feel like a team that knows what it's doing should be able to build a competent team around the quarterback if they're really doing those things right. Now, often teams are like reaching too far. They know they have a weaker quarterback, so they're trying to like get the superstar talent, which costs mm -hmm. too much money. They're bringing back too many players because they're one player away, but they shouldn't think about one player away because they don't have that quarterback who's going to really make them one player away at all times, all those sorts of things. So I guess for me, that's probably more the thing that I would say is why not just like build the best ship around this guy you're going to bring in as your captain and you don't have to on a on a the, the moment you know that they're not a top eight quarterback toss toss the dude overboard and get a new guy just keep on right. riding on that and then be opportunistic about when to bring in a new quarterback no i i think that's exactly right but i think the the differences are how do you do that and and where you see a lot of teams make mistakes is thinking that like okay well i need to be built around this quarterback so i need you know, I, I need just this one all-star to put with that quarterback and, and that will fix my problems. Um, and I think that's where, you know, a lot of teams that are kind of in that, um, you know, not a quarterback bad enough to where you, where you immediately move on from them, but not good enough to really make a franchise guy make their mistakes. So like if you need a guy who, um, who you think needs an all-star offensive line around him, uh, but then you go and you pay really highly for like one all-star lineman 
that you know that's an example of the kind of mistake that that some of these teams make right because then you know we know that we know that offensive line is kind of a weak link system i if one of my offensive linemen isn't very good the defense can line up their best pass rusher on my weak lineman uh and then they can breach the pocket pretty consistently and now you know now my good but not great quarterback is under pressure all the time that's that's a very difficult proposition to to thrive in if you know that your success criteria are only when you know you give this guy a really clean pocket um so um it's it's fighting those kind of fights where it's like no you like instead of taking you know don't sign this all pro uh, uh guard or don't sign this all pro right tackle like instead let's get two above average guys or three above average guys for the same cost um and then we can build you know build an entire line of above average guys i'm i'm very much a, a fan of that type of building strategy especially in the weak link system pieces of an nfl team so offensive line and coverage it, it can be a lot better to have um, a collection of, of above average than one or two superstars and then you know whatever you can afford afterwards now how i mean communication is what we're going to talk about as far as like how do you how do you work against the perception that you're talking about because if a player i think your average observer, maybe even people within the within the NFL, it's not that they just want the superstar talent. They are certain of that superstar talent and that the superstar talent that we saw last year will continue to next year much more so than they have confidence that like one out of two of these lower talents will come through in some sort of way. It, that plays into trading back. That plays into targeting the middle tier in free agency versus the high amount in free agency. Like how do you explain these concepts to people when you see in certain, you know, what, again, we don't, I don't need you to <laughs> attack anyone, anyone here, but you know, f- fan bases and others are high-fiving each other when they trade up because they're getting that particular player who's obviously going to hit. So how do you translate that to a, a decision maker when it's it's not the easiest thing to think of, right? It goes not only goes to go against our instincts, but it goes against it, it's going to incorporate like maybe kind of some some second level type of thinking into it, uh, where some people are going to have that naturally, but not all will. Yeah, so I think a lot of times uh, people will focus on uh, focus on the times that succeeded for whatever they're trying to do. So it's like, oh, well, look at the you know these other times where team traded up and and they landed you know their star quarterback or well, okay quarterback's kind of a bad example because you probably should trade up for a quarterback if you can um yeah. but you know with they oh they traded up for this guy and and he ended up great or they traded up for this other guy but i think at this point we have enough historical data where you can go back and say like okay well here were all these other teams that were in similar situations and they did what you're talking about and Let's, you know, let's list off some names that uh, are maybe going to sound a little foreign because uh, none of these guys made it or, or they weren't nearly as good. And it's like, okay, well, if, uh, if you trade up and this guy ends up being, you know, someone who washes out of the league in four years, are you happy with that result? No, I'm not happy with that result. It's like, well, that happened this many times. Uh, if you trade up for this guy and, and, you know, all these different things happen, you know, are you happy with that result or not? And, and I think that kind of framing it that way can a kind of jar the memory of, of the person you're talking to that like, Oh yeah, there actually were a fair amount of, of, of maybe not failures, but not spectacular results too. Um, that maybe the, uh, the average result for this whole process that I'm considering is a bit lower than I thought. Um, and B, it kind of gives you as an analyst, a an idea of what you know what's the risk appetite of the person you're talking to um you know are they are they willing to to really swing for the fences on all these on all these people and what are those um what do those percentages look like right because they're probably not thinking of it in terms of percentages but you probably are and so if you come to them and say like hey there's like a one in ten chance this person is an all pro are you sure you want to do this um then and if they say yes then it's like well, okay. I mean, that's that's the like at that point that that's that's just risk appetite, and and you're not going to talk them out of that uh, talk them out of that uh, position. Um, but I think it's important to understand exactly, you know, what they're what they're willing to accept and what they're willing or not willing to uh, accept. And I think where that GM is within the cycle of their career plays into it a lot as well. Um, 
as you get people who, um, you know, whether it's real or perceived, feel like they need to win now um, in order to, to keep their job, it gets really hard to talk them out of out of just swinging for the fences. Um, and and that's that's a pretty underrated piece we don't talk about a lot. It's like, well, you know, the incentive structure is what it is. Like if, if this guy doesn't this guy doesn't win, then uh, then they're probably not going to be you know a general manager or they're not going to be a, a pro scouting director or whatever it is in the next year. And and so they're looking at you know what's my best chance of survival, and maybe it is you know that this player in the draft or free agency or whatever becomes the next best thing or, you know, the next big thing, even if that's yeah, unlikely. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to get the plaudits for it too, right? I mean, I guess right. it's all going to matter in the end. The results are what's really going to matter in the end. But if you're going to get the initial plaudits for it also, that's probably part of it. And yeah, the cycles are very fast. Cycles are very fast, especially yeah, when like you- three and a half years? It's Yeah, especially when fast. you should assume also in the draft, like you should assume the rookies are not going to have- like a huge, a huge impact too. Right. So that, that also may be part of it that you're projecting the guy's going to come immediately. But then I, I also think this sounds like I'm kind of maybe not being generous enough, but for some people's opinions, but I do think also when you say like, when you say to someone, yeah, you know, Julio Jones happens, which I whisper, I'm not quite sure that was that great of a trade up anyway, but so Julio Jones happens, right. Uh-huh. But you know, Sammy Watkins happens too, or other, other guys happen there. But then I just feel like the response from that might be, well, now knowing what we know after the fact, like, well, yeah, you don't draft Sammy. You don't do it for Sammy Watkins. Like you do it for Julio Jones, of course, that that sort of situation. And just fighting against those things seems like it'd be difficult. Hopefully you weren't dealing with anything like that in, in where you've been. But I wonder if th- if stuff like that does end up happening or that ends up being the pushback. And then it really becomes like, like how do you fight against that sort of hindsight you know, opinion on, on what's already happened. Yeah. Hindsight bias is, is very pernicious, right? I mean, it's, it's very easy to look back and and say like, Oh, well that was a dumb decision. It's like, well, (laughs) yeah, but at the, at the time that it was being made, it wasn't so clear that it was, you know, especially dumb. Um, you know, even if, even if it was something that like you or I were against, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily think like, well, uh, yeah, this guy's going to really flame out. Like you're going to seriously regret this one. Um, yeah, I, I, that's such a hard thing to get around, and and a lot of it, like I don't have a blanket answer for you because it's just personality driven, and yeah, and, and at that point, it's you know, have you built enough trust with that particular front office? Have you, have you really spent the time to uh, explain things in a very clear way to where you know when when you raise you know raise your hand up and say like, hey, I I really think this might be a bad idea, that you at least give them pause to to think through it. Yeah, no, that's probably all you can all you can really ask. Okay, so we've talked about some of the, the the quarterback, endless quarterback talk, trading back, all that sort of stuff here. What is one thing that is not being talked enough about on the outside, and is it a function of people being a little too like myopic on these on these big level issues, or is it a function of maybe people on the outside just don't have the the insight and the data to be able to to focus on what you think is a little bit more interesting of a conversation. Not that our daily, you know, fourth down discussions aren't <laughs> thrilling, absolutely thrilling for, for everyone out there. Well, yeah, first of all, go for it no matter what. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no Speaking so, of Sarah Bailey, Sarah Bailey was just like, stop talking about fourth downs a couple right. of times where she, she, she had really had had enough. So, of course, then we have to lean in further at that point. But go ahead. Um, so one of the things that I think is really interesting that's starting to happen within the NFL that not a whole lot of people are talking about, but part of it's because it's so hard to measure uh, using public resources is the linebacker position is changing rapidly. Um, and, and I think that's super exciting uh, because it means that a whole lot of things that were true like two, three years ago are no longer going to be true, which means, uh, well, I mean, it's job security, right? Now you got to retrain new models. Um, but on a serious note, it means that we may be entering a phase of the game where play action becomes less effective uh, because linebackers are starting to not bite on play action. And if that if that trend holds and it continues and it spreads to more teams, we could fundamentally see a 
a radical shift possibly in in the expected points added in uh the pass versus the run and then especially you know play action might come down to earth uh, a bit because for the last several years it's been kind of a magic button it's like well I've, I've got a quarterback who maybe is uh struggling in structure a little bit but got a decent run game or or even if you don't like if you can at least credibly threaten the run um screw it play action just slam the button and and it works and if that stops working um i think that has really interesting implications now that again that 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 is pretty interesting because again going back to my data question on this mm-hmm. i have seen recently I, I forget which team it was maybe it was the, it was Colts, the Colts. i want to say where they the they were showing some some clips about how guys are not they're just not biting they're not biting yep. uh on on the play action. And, you know, I discount a little bit of clip analysis because you, you're only getting a clip, right? You're only getting a right. few clips as opposed to a large source of data. So publicly, do we have the data to analyze something like this? Is this as simple as looking at the relative advantage of play action versus non-play action passing? And even then, you know, the context, we're going to throw context into everything here. It's like, if you're classifying a you know, an RPO or something like that as, as play mm-hmm. action versus a, you know, the Shanahan kind of play action into a boot sort of, it's kind of a whole, a whole different sort of scenario here. So do we publicly have the means of figuring something out, something like that out, or is this a tracking issue mostly? Well, I, I think there's a few issues. A, it's a bit of a tracking data issue. Um, yes. And then, and then B, it's not widespread yet. Um, so you know that's why I hedged a little bit on if we if we saw it continue to prol- proliferate because you could make an argument like well maybe the Colts don't even do it again next year uh, it could have been a one off thing um, but if that starts to become you know a league wide trend where where these linebackers are just coached like hey don't bite on on play action just assume pass like if you see a, you know a, a fit that could be you know could be play action just assume it's a pass at all times until you like literally see the back with the ball. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm, I don't know, maybe part of it's hopeful on my part that, that I'm hoping that's that a paradigm will, will shift a little bit within the NFL. If nothing else, it'll make the Twitter, Twitter arguments more interesting. Yeah. And well, that, that, that hints towards something I was going to ask a little bit later, but maybe I'll get into it now where I feel like, I mean, this hints a little bit at, not a not not a, a well not necessarily like a cycle but kind of it's 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 play action uh linebackers are biting too hard on play action you lean into play action now mm-hmm. they're not biting as hard on play action so then presumably you could just not use play action as much but then also still pass as much so it's not necessarily going back towards the run or you you run the ball more uh, because you're, you're going to have less, fewer defenders, you know, moving towards that, moving towards the area, and presumably getting more efficiency out of that sort of thing. So I guess we've been hearing for a long time about the NFL. Is I remember this is something that uh, Mike McDaniel said about like it's, it's cyclical nature of the NFL, but in reality, like I'm not sure there is that much of a cyclical nature in the NFL. Like passing's been going up forever, all these things have been going up forever. Yes, there's probably like mini cycles within what's going on, mm-hmm. but do you think we realistically get to a point? I guess talking about the the running game on a, on a larger basis, where maybe there is a benefit towards leaning further into the run than what teams are. Will that slight bit of plateau that we're seeing now maybe fully plateau in that sort of direction of teams passing and going forth? Do you think we're any closer to that? Or is there no point? This would be more my take. There's <laughs> you probably have a very different take. It's like, I don't really think, I, I don't want to predict that until I really start to see it happening because I need like real confirmation before that, before that's going to happen. While there's still a differential in efficiency between the two different types of, of uh, passing versus a designed run. How how frequentist of you, Kevin, that you won't believe it until you see it. <laughs> no, just, uh, how many times do you want to be wrong until you're like, no, into, that, into, I mean, that, along the way. That's fair. It's like um, being a bear. It's like being a right. bear in the stock market. You're like, <laughs> it sounds good. It sounds good. You can probably get a lot of people to like, you know, start storing food in their basement and like putting gold in their shelter. But you've right. probably been telling them that for the past 25 years. That's that's true. Yeah, uh, the sky is falling every day. Yeah. Um, so I think we're closer to the plateau uh, now than 
than at any point in NFL history, uh, barring rule changes. I think the big wrench in all of this is is that rule changes do have an outsized effect on things. So, you know, if if they change the pass interference uh, rule, that could have uh, that could have an impact. Um, if they start calling, uh, if they start calling uh, uh, legal man downfield more often on RPOs, that could have a, a big impact um, and and skew things more towards running than passing because you know now. Now you're just, you know, your center's five yards downfield and it's costing you yardage every time. Uh, but I do think we're, we're nearing a plateau. Um, but I, I think that there is space for, for teams that are willing to kind of, you know, buy that midfield within the free agency market and then draft very smartly um, and build around average to maybe slightly above average quarterbacks rather than having an elite one that can still go out there and compete. Um, and But the problem is they, those edges are very, very small, and it's hard to do. Uh, so for those teams, I think it's even more important that you lean into analytics because then that just helps you make the better small decisions, you know, even if it doesn't, uh, even if it doesn't take over uh, your decision making completely, which is which is totally fine, but but at least taken into consideration. So if if your team operating kind of in that in that paradigm, um, pending what we see out of Trey Lance, right? Like Trey Lance could be phenomenal. I have no idea because he hasn't really played much in the NFL. But the 49ers could be a team like that. Um, you know, the the Titans I think were kind of a team like that for a number of years, where uh, you had Ryan Tannehill, who in that particular scheme in, in with that team was was operating. Uh, very very efficiently um, and I don't think that was because of their embracing of analytics uh, but just kind of their team building philosophy of you know we are going to we're going to build very strongly within our weak link systems uh, and then everything else kind of happens where it happens you know you hit on a couple of good wide receivers you have a quarterback who's good enough to get you there and you know at at that point you're you're having success on what is other otherwise a very stacked AFC. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting when you talk about um, we talk about some of these larger trends because I get the pushback against the idea of um, hey, you just you just pass the ball more and you win. Like people who are saying who are mocking that sort of philosophy, or if it's on right. defense, right? You just say hey, on defense, you just don't play the run anymore, and then and then you have a successful defense. Isn't that so easy? Um, or something like that, or the idea that, you know, you just, uh, you just, you just run this particular type of, you just motion, you just do motion every single play and your play action every single play and you end up working. So how do, how do you, tr that's another translation issue is because it, yeah. like, I agree that it sounds a little bit ridiculous, but at the same time, if you would have said to coaches in the NBA many years ago, just shoot three more, more three pointers. Yeah. Like you're not giving them the the answer for how to do it but you are giving them a paradigm through which they should analyze and then change what they're doing or think about how they can incrementally change what they're doing like how do you think about that sort of thing like whether it can really be implemented how do you take a maybe a broad macro idea and then implement it when that's like i don't like i don't know if i believe you enough to even put this much emphasis into what i'm doing from a coaching perspective yeah, so to go to an NBA example, right? Um, when when a lot of the nerds were were saying like, "Hey, we should th shoot more three pointers," it was like, "Well, we should be shooting these uncontested three pointers," because you had yes. a lot of guys who were coming in, you know, five six extra feet, uh, just inside the three point line, and then they were shooting jump shots. And it's not that the jump shots weren't good. I mean, an uncontested jump shot is is still a positive play, right? Uh, but if you have an uncontested three, you know, the, the probability to make between the two shots is, is very, very similar. So just take the uncontested three. And and so that's that's kind of how you frame it, right? It's not it's not, hey, replace all of your passes with play action or, hey, just use more motion. It's uh, if there is a moment in time when in the process of your coaching where you're thinking, should I do one or the other? It, you should change what your default is. Like instead of you know on first and ten like oh well we you know we need to we need to run first and, and see if our running game is is going instead of defaulting to that default to let's use play action you know until they stop biting on the run and then start running and so like those type of reversals can be really powerful because then you're not just saying like 
oh, simply run play action all the time. Now it's saying, you know, like, let's use, let's use what we know is a league-wide trend or even a team-specific trend to exploit a matchup advantage uh, just by changing how we think about things and, and, and the way we're framing it within our own mind, where instead of the default is one thing, now the default is another, but both are still options. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that, that, I like that. And I guess we, we talked about this a little bit, thinking about having a a prior, like kind of like a logical slash coaching insight prior before you're figuring out what you're going to do. And as far as analysis is concerned and, and working off of that a little bit. So I guess my, when you have, we have these larger, again, probably from, from people in NFL front office seems like mind numbing discussions about body blows and, and stuff like that. I think there's like this confusion about a, whether it exists or not. And mm-hmm. I think the problem with framing probably a little bit from the nerd side is saying there's not evidence for X. So X doesn't exist when the reality might be more that like X exists, but it doesn't show up in the data, which is possible that it, it does even have a positive effect that we're not measuring properly. But the fact that it doesn't show up means it's not material enough for us to give up things in other area of the game. You, you kind of, you kind of get where I'm going there, but you know, yeah. we have 280 characters, yeah, right? So like, how, how do we, how, do you think I'm on the right track at all? Number one, when I'm saying that sort of thing. And number two, again, that's going to be a question of like, does something exist or not? We talk about a lot on the outside where it's like the, maybe the existence isn't the point. Yeah. Or I mean, the full first, point? Of all, I, first of all, like, proving the negative is like impossible right <laughs> to prove right, something yeah, doesn't yeah. exist it's yeah. just is so difficult um but to your to your larger point right if if we're sitting down and, and in the public sphere it's exhausting because uh you you just you have people with different mindsets and, and worldviews but there's no there's no incentive to actually come to a consensus or to even work together in any meaningful way and uh luckily that's not the case in teams and so if you're, you know, if you're trying to talk to a coach or a scout or, a, you know, whatever, and let's say um, they they have a strongly held belief that there isn't any any data for, um, you know, at, at that point, I think it can help to walk through and say, like, OK, well, you said, you know, if A happens, then B, but we looked at all the times A happens and B doesn't appear. The, the first thing I would would ask is like, well, is there another way to measure this? Like, is there something is there some effect that isn't being uh, isn't being directly measured and and then you know come up with a schema to, to measure that effect and and then you can kind of peel back all of those layers um, to the point where uh, you know even if you strongly believe that that it doesn't have a material effect um, that maybe you can guide someone to have having a conclusion of well maybe this matters less than I think it does. Um, but you do that in an evidenced, you know, slow evidence-based way, and 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 that's not really uh, what happens in public discourse because, um, I mean, there's kind of a lack of data for a lot of it. You know, you start talking about like, oh well, you know, play action is more effective than this, and uh, film people say like, well, you need context, and they say well, like, well, there's there's no evidence that the context matters, but then you kind of hit a data limitation, and so you can't really get into it with with tracking data and, and stuff like that and so then then you're at an impasse and you know exchanging uh exchanging twitter blows 280 characters at a time so wait uh, so so people can't comment obviously who are working on nfl teams and then even though they may want yeah. to i'm sure sometimes that's what um private group chats are are good for um People, even right. people who are publicly commenting probably should be using those a little more often when they're firing off some takes here. Do you, do you guys on the inside, are you ever talking about like these, the, 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 the fight, the Twitter fight du jour that's going on? Oh, I, I, every time. <laughs> like, I, I mean, yeah, uh, even, even to this day, I mean, there, it's the off season, right? So like the takes yeah. have not been particularly, uh, haven't been particularly spicy lately, but, uh, yeah, constantly. Like whenever somebody fires off something particularly egregious, you know, people I know around the league will either you know text each other or Twitter DM whatever it is, and and just say like, yeah. "Hey, are you seeing this shit?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and some yeah. of it's funny because like, you know, you would think, especially a lot of analytics nerds, that we that we would be taking the nerd side, and then yeah. but a lot of the times it's like, 
this guy doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. Like, it, it, and some of it's a data access issue, right? Like kind of like we alluded to before, because we'll be like, oh yeah, if, if you had, you know, this, this, and this data source, or if you had a model to measure, you know, whatever it is, then, then of course you would see that, that what he's saying is, is rubbish, but you know, you, you, you fight, <laughs> you fight your online battles with the data set you have, not the data set you wish you had. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm assuming, of course, you're not talking about me, but you know, yeah, Baldwin and Hermsmeyer, those guys. I agree. They have they have some awful they have some awful takes that everyone should be sh- should be trashing should be trashing on the inside there. Okay, so before before I let you go, Sean, I appreciate it. We, you know, we've gone over over an hour here, so uh, appreciate the time so much. Do you have any good yeah. any good stories? Any good anything else? In, anyone you want to trash in the analytics community? You want to just throw it out there as 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 someone? I know you do have someone, but we don't necessarily just. <laughs> need to go there um is there is there any, any good stories from the inside that that i that, that you can you can share a little bit maybe without revealing too many secrets yeah so uh really funny story at least funny in my opinion um from my first year with the ravens and okay. so i i had just so uh, what year what year is this so i was 2019 the sorry 2019. 2019 so this is so, lamar jackson unanimous mvp season upcoming yeah it was, it was a good year um yeah. So, you know, I joined the Ravens and, and, you know, working with their, with their analytics department and kind of getting onboarded with, with Derek and Sarah, cause, uh, we got, we all got brought in at the same time. And I remember, uh, I remember there was some, there was some online like Twitter spat and I can't remember what exactly was being argued about. Yeah. But uh, I'm sure Corey, it was, it was, mon- it was sure it was like monumental in change. Oh uh, yeah, it was, it was, football. it was. It was a uh, uh, career defining. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I was I was uh, texting back and forth with uh, Corey Crawick, who uh, still works with the Ravens, and and uh, we were we're kind of you know making fun of some of the Twitter takes, and and I made a comment along the lines of like, well, of course he had a stupid take. He has an MBA, like business majors. And then Corey goes, you know, I have an MBA, right? And like I had been with the team for like. Two weeks at this point, <laughs> and so I'm just like, well, I just got fired over an internet joke. <laughs> yeah, you're like, well, not. Nah. I mean, the school though. Did you see the school? Those guys yeah, are idiots like... over, over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, you know well, what? I, I will say really this. Really put my foot in it. <laughs> Even if okay, Corey, if you're doing this, I, I apologize. Well, actually, I don't apologize. If you're doing this, if you put MBA like like MD or something like that by your name or something, no, you know, on never. your profile or something. You deserve to be to, to be to be smited down and and made fun of at, at all times possible. So sorry, sorry to anyone out there who like oh like on a business card or something. You don't put MBA on there. That's not how it works. I'm sorry, people. That's not that's not how it works. But anyway, so I'll I'll, I'll give you that there. But you you made it. You made it. That, you, that's you survived. True. Yeah, I, I survived, survived that, that year one. and yeah, survived that year and the next. Uh, so yeah, uh, not so for all of you aspiring NFL data analytics folks. Uh, you know, beware of who has NBAs. Uh, you know, yeah, do do heavy research via LinkedIn before that's right. before that's right. before you start you start <laughs> start spouting off too much. It kind of reminds me, like I I just I, I just the other day I was at my kid's soccer game. And I was like talking about how they destroyed this team that they were playing against. And then I noticed like a mom was right behind me, right without was saying anything. It's like, oh, it's no. a little uncomfortable. But, you know, I can't, I can't help it. I, I need to like, I, and then another thing is like, I need to just not say anything during the games also, because I feel like I'm becoming one of those dads where I'm not really passionate about it, but then I'll just be like, oh, what are you doing? And then I'll notice like the mom of the kid is right there. I'm like, oh, whoops, I should have said that there. So Don't apologies be that guy, Kevin. There. Don't yeah, be that I, I'm guy. becoming that guy. <laughs> I'm becoming that guy, but I can't help it. The kid actually has some athletic ability. And when that happens to a nerd, when their kid has some athletic ability, it's like a, you get overjoyous sort of, uh, you know, bubbling uh, cauldron that, that overflows sometimes. So I, I apologize for all of that. We're, but anyway, you're going to be on um, TikTok uh, any day now as, as that dad <laughs> just yelling at somebody. Yeah, let's hope not. I, I hope I get canceled for something better better than that but anyway everyone i appreciate you listening make sure you follow sean on twitter at sean from seabeck s-e-a-b-e-c-k on there you're gonna get some takes periodically on football um and you'll be able to follow everything that sean's doing i'm sure it'll pop up 
with um, some more insightful analysis that he's doing throughout the league. Writing some stuff from Football Outsiders. Are you still doing any stuff there or not really? No. So I, I am working on a, a pretty big project right now, but not not really uh, ready to go public on it quite yet. So you don't want to break no. some news right here? No, no, I uh, <laughs> do not want to break some news right now, but uh, you'll 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 see something relatively soon, I I would think. Okay, well, that's a good hook. That's a good hook for everyone to go that's ahead right. and follow him on, on Twitter, and you'll see all, when all of that comes through. Otherwise, I appreciate everyone tuning in, and I'll be coming at you again with a couple of episodes next week, and I'll also be talking to uh, Ron Yurko next week, uh, who was the one of the co-inventors of NFL Scraper, which then was the first kind of big public access taking NFL data from the API moving on. And then he also worked for Zealous Analytics. We'll get into exactly what they were doing there. Now that he's moving on to professor land, but doing some great work in the NFL area, especially in the with the tracking data. So I'll be talking to him next week. But until then, thanks for everyone for tuning in, and I'll talk at you then. 